Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for you. Thank you for just being family, being able to work with little ones, to spend time with young adults, um, to speak truth. Lord, and may we think about this family that we have. And Lord, you love this bride, this family that one day will be presented to your son, Jesus, who he died, died for. He paid his life for us. May, Lord, we never take that for granted. And may we, oh, Lord, may we take it seriously what you teach us from your word. And, Lord, may we think about that this year as we look ahead and think about what are we going to do with this new year that God has given us. So, Lord, may that be on our mind as we uh, read your word. May we grasp and understand the brevity and the, the depth. And, Lord, may we not just be hearers of the word, but may we be doers, taking advantage of the tools that you have given us to enjoy our relationship with you. May we come boldly and adore you and love you and worship you as we partake of this bread together, the bread of life, your word, your living and active word. And may it overcome all of our failings, all of our distractions, all of my failings. And may we just be fed this morning and rejoice for the joy has come. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Peter, he's concerned about the light of our life, right? How are we living? What kind of light is shining before men? Do they see the light of Christ? Uh, the speaker at TLC put it this way, do they have enough evidence to convict you as a believer? That one's a pretty scary thought. None of us want to be in a courtroom. You know, many of us deal with many different things. And he goes on to tell us the foundation of our life and our relationship with God is in the Word of God. And he ends with that in chapter 1, and we get to chapter 2 of Second Peter. And he now tells us that there are people that are going to come in and are going to distract us from the very life-giving Word of God. Have you ever smelt something bad? Depending on the context of our circumstances, we respond in different ways, don't we? If you were in the kitchen and something is extremely bad, what usually is the culprit? Usually it means that somebody forgot to take out the trash, right? Or, yeah, in our house we've opened up an egg that shouldn't have been opened, right? There's nothing worse. And he's like, get it out of the house now. You know, um, there's times when it's like, uh-oh, one time it was so bad and we opened up the kitchen sink and the trap was clogged and it had a bunch of disgusting grease in there, right? And the smell leads us to something, doesn't it? I'll never forget one time and usually we, we go in and we investigate smell, Right? I'll never forget one time I was hunting and we were on a ridge and my, my dad was, I don't know, about six, seven hundred yards down. I was hunting because I was younger. I was hunting the, the side of the mountain on the ridge 
He was hunting below me so we can see each other. We had radios. And we're walking and we're trying to find this moose that we had seen earlier. And we're walking along. And all of a sudden, I smell something extremely bad. Now, the Huffmans would know. We're in the woods. There's big, large amount of brush ahead of me on the trail. And I smell something extremely bad. Now, if I was in the kitchen, I'd go and investigate. But now I'm in the woods, right? And I'm thinking, I am not where I should be. I immediately back up, and I make sure that the safety is off and my gun is forward. I'm all of a sudden heightened. Every sound sends chills. You know, you get to a point where your hair begins to stand on your arms. So every single sound, I, I slowly, I, I've got the gun here, and I'm, I'm trying to get the radio up because I don't want to let the gun down. And I'm walking backwards, and I'm calling to my dad. I said, Do you, I hear something ahead of me. It smells really bad. Can you see it? And as I'm sitting there, my, I'm waiting. I was like, okay. I've got the radio up by, my, by the gun, and I'm sitting there trying to talk on the radio and keep the gun pointed ahead. And I'm like, please, please, please don't smell me. And the wind is blowing at me. I was like, don't change. If the wind changed in any direction, I felt like I would be in trouble. So, and my dad's like, I can see it. Keep walking backwards. You know what it was? It was a grizzly bear. And he was wallowing in his kill. So that he probably, I don't know what he was eating, but he probably had the moose we were looking for. So here's the thing. If you know anything about bears they will attack if they smell you. If you startle them, they will, and they will just, they'll just shred you to death. So I, we walked out of there. We went to a completely different side of the mountain and hunted away, as far away as we could get. That was hunting. That was my only time close to bear. But the smell, the sounds, all the signs were there. And if I'd ignored them, I probably wouldn't be talking to you today. Signs, being aware, being sensitive to things is important in life. Sometimes it's life or death. Sometimes it just means take the trash out. And that's the way it is in our, in our church life. As a body of Christ, we have to be aware of things that kind of smell. Um, when we were studying the book of Galatians, we would, I would show a quote from somebody and people's heads would kind of cock like, Something's just not right, and, but I'm not sure what it is. Peter is concerned. Remember I told you that there's ravenous wolves. Jesus said, beware of false teachers that'll come in amongst you like ravenous wolves. And then Paul said in Acts, he said, look, I know that when I leave, ravenous wolves are going to come among you. I was with a good friend of mine that I had done ministry with for years, hadn't seen him for years, but he hunts in Montana all the time. And he, and he said, I, I told him we were preaching out of Second Peter, and he said, oh my goodness, just last week we had 60, 60 uh, elk bulls killed by wolves. 60. All in the matter of hours. This pack of wolves came in and they left them. They just, they bit them, they killed them, and then they left they killed just to kill. 
60 wiped out almost all, completely wiped out a herd of elk in Montana. That's the wolves. And when Jesus and when Paul said that ravenous wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, do you get a great sense of what they're saying? We need to be aware. So as we go through this, as we study this, and as we, over the next few months, as we look at false teachers, their characteristics, who they are, we are looking for these signs. We need to be aware so we can back up, not join in. If I would have went forward and kept going forward, I was like, wonder what that smells like. I know I wouldn't be here today. Well, I, you know, God may have said, oh, you're just being stupid. I'm going to scare the, the bear. Now, that's highly unlikely, but God has a way of doing that sometimes. But we need to be aware We need to know. Beware of false teachers because why? Because false teachers are perpetual threats, right? Look at this thing. Do you see a problem? This one's easy to spot, isn't it? How about this one? This one scares me. You know why? Do you know where false teachers usually go? You know, why would that wolf be hanging out with the lambs? Kind of fatten those guys up, right? Kind of munch on them later. All right, they have a different motive. Do you see a problem here? It gets a little harder. How about this one? (laughs) Uh, Are you being observant? Are you aware? How about this one? Now, it's a little easier when it's this big. You should see the one I'm looking at. <laughs> this one's a little easier to see, right? Hey, you can even see the tags. <laughs> Farmer tagged a few of them. This one lost one. So anyway, but how about this one? This one should scare you. Who is entering into the church and leading the sheep to feed? This, should, this one scares me every day. I, I, I've never met somebody that's come up to preach that really wants to honor God and said it was the hardest thing preparing to know that I might do disservice to the holy word of God, right? And who's leading the sheep? Who's bringing them to feed, right? Is there, where's the problem? Beware of false teachers because they leave a trail of spiritual devastation. This is what 2 Peter is talking about. Listen to 2 Peter verses 1 through 3. It says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So he's talking about in the past, false prophets arose from the past in the Old Testament. We can see it. But also false teachers are going to come from among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon them swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction 
is not asleep. Their destruction is coming. False teachers, we need to be aware. What are the signs? Why should we be aware? And that's because there's, there's seven things that we talked about. We talked about this before. Because false teachers, their methods are subtle and deceptive. They're, I, they're building this plastic house to deceive you from what is really true. It's plastic. It's not true. They're perpetual threats. Uh, the false teachers are never going to cease until Christ returns. They're there. They're here. They're on TV. They're in podcasts. They all look good. They're very subtle. Good is not the sign for truth, right? But how many times are we like, oh, well, that sounds good, or that feels good, or they talk good? That is not the sign for truth. Number three, beware of false teachers because the doctrine is destructive. Talked about that in length. How about this one? Beware of false teachers because their influence is alluring. These false teachers, <laughs> they cater to the flesh. They don't preach about sin. They do not mention divine judgment or hell, but they avoid truth like denying yourself, take up your cross and follow Christ no matter what the cost is. They avoid it. And that's what Peter is telling us. Here's a few more. This morning, you can fill in your notes. Beware of false teachers because their motives are impure. Did you notice in verse 2, many will, many will follow their what? Their sensuality. How about in verse 3? And in their greed, they will what? Exploit you. So, they have a sensual appetite for the flesh, and they have a desire to have more at anybody else's expense. Beware, because just because they sound good doesn't mean they are good. Doesn't mean that they are drawing you closer to the presence of God. Doesn't mean that they desire for you to be close to God. Peter shows that these men are driven by two related evil motives, sensuality and greed. At the root of both of these is their self-centeredness and pride. They want to exploit the followers to gratify themselves. This is exactly what Paul was saying in Galatians. If you are quick and you can, you know, beat um, Charlotte, she's our reigning Bible-turning champion, and you can get to Galatians 6, 12 through 13, Paul says this about false teachers. He says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. They want to make a what? A good showing. They want to look good. Who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They want to look good and they don't want the culture to persecute them. Wow. Doesn't that sound familiar? For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to be, have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. There are false teachers out there and their only desire is for themselves to look good. Look, all the people that follow me, look at how good I am. 
but they ask you to do things for them that they themselves will never do. They only want to exploit you for their own gain. I've seen this over and over and over. False doctrine leads to ungodly living. It's amazing how many of these false teachers begin to live ungodly lives. But, the, but it's amazing because the more that a false teacher is involved in ungodly living, and they, they usually change the Bible to say something else in order to deal with the conviction that they feel. They say, oh, well, that's not really what God means. So he has to change the teaching somehow to dodge his guilt. Be very leery of somebody who says, has God really said? That's the very first thing Satan said to Adam and Eve. They're, met, they're, they're impure. Their desires, their motives are not for your benefit. Everybody's like, oh, but they make me feel good. That's not for your benefit. If it isn't drawing you closer to God's word and his relationship. Beware of false teachers because they teach, <laughs> of their teaching and lifestyles result in dishonor to the way of the truth. Peter says, because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned, or some translations, blasphemed. The Christian faith is, is basically built upon the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It's based, who is the way? Jesus is the way. These people, when they teach, and these false teachers, what are they ultimately doing? They're maligning the truth. They're maligning God's truth. They're maligning God's way. And who is the way? Jesus. Do you notice that most false teachers, you hear little of Christ. You hear almost, you hear almost nothing of the cross. Which is interesting is, uh, you write down Malachi chapter 2, or Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is interesting. If you want to do a timeline study, you'll know that if you read through Nehemiah, Nehemiah has come back. He's found the, the temple in disarray again, right? If you know, if those of you who went to TLC know that during Hezekiah's time, what did Hezekiah find? The temple in disarray. He had to go fix it, right? It took eight days to get to, through the court of the temple. Eight days of filth that they had to clean out. The way of God will be maligned. Malachi chapter 2, verse 7 and 9, it says, For the lips of the priest should guard knowledge. Talking about the knowledge of God. And people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. The way being the truth, God's word. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction, you have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instructions. If you understand, Malachi is right between chapters 11 and 12 and 13 of Nehemiah. What has happened is Nehemiah has rebuilt the walls, Nehemiah has helped rebuild the temple, he leaves to go back to Xerxes, and guess what he finds when he comes back? 
The priests aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. The Levites aren't doing what they're supposed to be. In fact, they're out farming. But they're supposed to be helping everybody worship. But they can't. Look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. The Lord of hosts is coming. Who's God's messenger? To say, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. They will not recognize the messenger. It's a prophecy. Verse 8 of Malachi 3 says, Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? Ha, do we, should we rob God? Heaven forbid. But you say, how, we haven't robbed God. How have we robbed God? In your tithes and contributions, he said. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that they may, there may be food in my house. In God's temple, there was supposed to be food and stores. And thereby put me to the test, said the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Jump down to verse 13. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You said, it is, it is vain to serve God. Well, why should we serve God? Why should we do all this temple worship? Why should we bring tithes? Why should we do all these things? What is the profit, it says in verse 14? What is the profit of your keeping this charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Evildoers are running amok, is what he's saying. And nobody cares. Nobody cares to follow the word of the Lord. What has happened? Well, turn to Nehemiah back to Nehemiah chapter 13. This is what Nehemiah found when he returned. Now before this, Eliazib, the priest, who had been appointed over the chambers of the house of the Lord. So he was in, he was in charge of the courtyard. He was in charge, charge of the most holy place. He was in charge of keeping it in order. And who was related to Tobiah. Now that's shame. If you've read Nehemiah, you know Tobiah was always against rebuilding Jerusalem. You can't do this. This is stupid. Why are you doing this? It's destroyed. It'll... No one can stand against the Babylonians or the, the Assyrians. Uh, why, what are you doing? This is pointless. He was always trying to discourage the body of the Lord. Here's Tobiah. And it says in verse 5, it says, This priest prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 30, uh, 32nd year of Xerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some time, I asked leave of the king, and I came back to Jerusalem, and I discovered the evil that Eliezer had done for, for Tobiah, 
preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very disappointed. No, if you read that, it says he's very what? Angry. He was hot under the collar. And I threw all of the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Does that sound familiar? What did Jesus do when he came into the courts and, and of worship in the temple and he found banking and selling? And what did he do? He threw out all the furniture, didn't he? Uh, Nehemiah was a little before his time. Right? He, was a, he did it. He threw it all out. Do you know what they did? They took this guy who was against God and against Israel and they built him an apartment in the temple. Were they paying attention to false teachers? They dishonor the way of the Lord. Do you see how far the dishonor can go? I, it's interesting. You see, I, then I gave the orders and I cleansed the chambers and I brought back all the vessels of the house of God and the grain offering and the frankincense. I also found out that the portion of Levites had not been given to them. You know where they were, they were going to Tobiah. They were making Tobiah rich. So the people that were in charge of worship, the pastors, the, the leaders, the elders, the shepherds, they were not in able to worship. They were not able to lead. They were not able to teach. So the Levites and the singers who did that work had fled each to his field. They had to go out and work, and they went, they walked away from worshiping God. Colossians chapter 3 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. Here's the ultimate thing. Beware of false teachers because their teaching and their lifestyles will result in dishonor to the way of truth. It'll destroy true worship. It'll destroy really true salvation in the life of a lot of people. It destroys churches. The last one here and then we're done. Beware of false teachers because they and all, the follow, all that follow them are heading towards eternal destruction. By the way, you know Peter uses the word destruction five times? This eternal destruction that he's describing here is used five times out of 18 times of the New Testament. It's used 18 times in the New Testament, but here in First Peter or Second Peter, it's used five times. Do you think he wants us to be aware? He speaks in verse one, destructive heresies and swift destruction. He adds in verse three, their judgments from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Also in chapter 3 and verse 7, the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly men are, is coming. And again in verse 17 of chapter 3, they'll be given over to their own destruction. Contrary to some people and what they think, the destruction of the wicked does not refer to their complete and utter annihilation. It refers to their eternal punishment in hell. 
Remember what Jesus said? This gives you an idea of what Peter is saying. You remember what Jesus said? He said, forbid not the children, right? Remember that the, the children had all come and sat on his lap and people began to murmur and the disciples were, wanted to take all the kids away. Uh, this is not proper. And he said, you know, he said, everybody needs to come to the Lord as a child. And he said, what would happen if anyone kept a child from coming to him? It would be better that they had a millstone hung around their neck and thrown into the deepest sea. Do you know what a millstone is? You ever seen the, the stones that they use to crush olives? It's, I'm not talking about a little, you know, uh, what do they call those little things that you crush your herbs? A pistol? Not the pistol, but the pistol. <laughs> right? Right? And no, this is a two-ton rock that's moved by a team of oxen, a couple cows. It'd be better, what would happen if that was hung around your neck and thrown? You'd be dead before you hit the water. I mean, forget about drowning, it would snap your neck. The weight of it. That's the seriousness of God from leading people astray. And he's saying, look, beware, they're, they're here. They're not only around you, but they come in and are among you. They can be. Beware of the signs. Beware of false teachers because they have a trail of spiritual devastation. They're alluring. They look good. They sound good. But folks, destruction is in their wake. There's a way that seems right unto man, but in the end it leads to death. You know the emphasis? People are like, oh, that leads to death. They think about death. You know what the most important word in that verse is? There's a way that seems, seems right. Just because it looks right, does that mean it's always right? I, I learned that the hard way. I, I built this indestructible pen for my sow. As soon as that piggy squilled, I realized how indestructible she is. I was way outmatched. She went right through part of my window and my wall. Guys, there's things that look right, but that doesn't mean they are right. We're going to talk about that. So we need to be careful. We want to set ourselves on that which is true. The living and abiding word of God that shows us all of his glory and might his promises that endure forever, may we build upon the foundation that will never fail us no matter how hard it blows outside. Let's pray.